0: This past fall, I saw something I haven't been able to stop thinking about. Let me set the scene here. It's September, 2023. The location is Munich. The global auto industry has come together for its annual European convention. For one week, hundreds of thousands of automaker executives, suppliers, industry watchers, and journalists will go from one manufacturer's massive booth to another to look at the latest sheet metal and listen to CEOs talk about the next generation of cars that are just around the corner. This being a show held in Germany, one of the key exhibitors is Mercedes-Benz. Mercedes essentially invented the automobile way back in 1886, and today its CEO, Ola Kalenius, is showing off the manufacturer's newest car. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Mercedes-Benz here in Munich. The car is called the Concept CLA. It's not ready for production just yet, but even with its hand-polished paint and some decorative touches that wouldn't survive a parking lot, it's pretty close to what the finished product will resemble. Like all concept cars, it's a swoopy, futuristic-looking thing. Today, the Concept CLA class is the forerunner to an entirely new portfolio of electric-first vehicles. Kalenius's address was a different kind of new car launch speech. If you expected to hear a list of high-performance stats and figures, well, you would have been disappointed. Instead of 0 to 60 times, Mercedes' CEO talked about kilowatt hours. Instead of top speed, he spoke about charging speed. Instead of driving performance, he went in-depth on driving assistance. And then I see the interior of this car. Of course, it looks like something out of a sci-fi movie with a large curved display in front of the driver and passenger, but just below that, bathed in light for all occupants to see is a microchip? MBOS and the onboard supercomputer create a fundamentally enhanced customer experience. From driving assistance and automated driving, all the way to charging, navigation, and entertainment. The auto industry is changing, more than it's ever changed before. My colleagues here at Goldman Sachs who cover the auto industry are well aware of it. Since the car was invented,
1: this is clearly
2: the most transformational shift
1: we see. It's fascinating. So I I personally think that ultimately the future is both electric and autonomous, and it's just a question of who's gonna get there first.
0: Electrification and automation are going to upend one of the most ubiquitous industries on the planet. It will create new winners, losers, and entirely new players. This dash-mounted semiconductor, even if it's just a flourish that doesn't ultimately make it into production, is only a tiny indication of the revolution underway. I'm Sam Grobar, deputy editor at Goldman Sachs, and this is The Future of Four Wheels. As long as cars have been around, they've been defined by two things, a fuel-burning engine and a human driver at the controls. Both of those things, however, are changing, fast. Century-old car makers are radically transforming their assembly lines and processes, while new car brands show up almost monthly to find a way into this evolving market. What happens over the next decade will completely upend one of the largest industries in the world, and its effects will not only be felt by car companies and car buyers, but also investors, governments, and entire other sectors of the global economy. It's not an unfair statement to say that much of the modern world has been shaped by the car. What happens to that world when the car changes into something new? Over the next four episodes of this Exchanges miniseries, I'll be talking to industry observers from Goldman Sachs as well as key industry players to explore the risks and opportunities of the car and the car business of the future. This is part one. Twin Revolution Before we go on, I just want to make a quick note here. We live in the real world with real companies and real brand names. We're going to talk about them, and even to some of the people who work at those brand names, but we should be extra clear here. None of this should be heard as an endorsement of any company, and none of this should be misconstrued as investment advice from Goldman Sachs. Furthermore, in this episode, you'll be hearing from my Goldman Sachs colleagues in global investment research and investment banking. These interviews were recorded separately at different times, and there was no coordination of content or of any other kind between research and banking. Okay, let's get to it.
2: I started covering the auto sector at Goldman Sachs
0: in the midst of the global financial crisis. Axel Hofer is an investment banker at Goldman Sachs. He advises car makers such as Porsche, Mercedes, and Volkswagen from our offices in Frankfurt. When he started in 2008, the stress on the global economy led automakers to make big deals to adjust to the financial climate. But by 2015, a new narrative emerged. Electrification became a topic, technology became a topic,
2: and companies didn't really understand what it meant, but they knew something big and material was happening.
0: For about three years, companies and investors pursued a bunch of different ideas based on the idea that something was changing in the auto industry. They just didn't know in which way. Carmakers started talking about being so-called mobility providers and sunk money into new car rental startups, autonomous driving joint ventures, and navigation services.
2: I call it the foot-in-the-door period, where people were throwing cash flow at startups just to have a foot-in-the-door, buying minority shares, toying with Uh, Shared mobility, investing into
0: batteries, but not wholeheartedly, just having a foot in the door. That era of experimentation was then followed by a cyclical dip in the auto market, after which came COVID, then supply chain shortages, and inflation that hadn't been seen in a generation. And electrification became real. One of the things Axel does in his job is follow the capital markets communications of his clients. And he started to see something show up in more than one of them. Mercedes, for example, started referring to an acronym named CASE, Connected, Autonomous, Shared, Electric. Other car makers called it ACES, but the letters stood for the same words.
2: Everybody had a synonym for those four letters, which really meant the change.
0: And that, that started happening. The change Axel's talking about is evolving the car from a mechanical contraption running on fuel to what the industry refers to as a software-defined vehicle that runs on a stack of batteries. Carmakers weren't just swapping out one set of parts for another. They were talking about changing their entire business wholesale. And they're making those changes at breakneck speed to meet increasing demand. Goldman Sachs estimates that EVs, electric vehicles, could make up as much as half of global car sales by 2035. And by around that point, advanced autonomous vehicles will likely make up the same share of sales. It's a fundamental shift. I think it's the mobile moment. I think it's really when Apple came with the
2: iPhone. The iPhone came and boom, it exploded and took share overnight. I think the auto evolvement is longer. It's over a period of 10,
0: 15 years, but the development is similar. But has has there ever been anything in the auto industry's history as transformative, as significant? No,
2: no. Since the car was invented, this is clearly the most transformational shift we see. It's fascinating. It's fascinating to observe. And it will be fascinating to
0: see which brands will be leading in 15 years. So what happened that allowed this fundamental shift to take place? I
1: think it it would be impossible to overstate the impact that Tesla has had on electric vehicles.
0: Eric Sparks is an investment banker at Goldman Sachs in San Francisco. He works with companies in the climate tech space. More specifically... He talks to a lot of battery makers. When you look at
1: first the Tesla Roadster, it was the first vehicle to take a lithium ion battery. And this was like literally a battery that you had in Thinkpads, and they just you know, put a bunch of them, put them into a pack, put it in a Lotus body, and like that was your vehicle. It was pretty remarkable, but it had sort of oh, I think over a couple hundred miles of range. And it was really fun to drive. I think up until that point, everybody's idea about an electric vehicle was like, ah, well, it's just gonna be really crummy to drive. It's like not gonna be fun. But there are actually a lot of benefits to an electric drivetrain. I mean, you get 100% torque at zero RPM. So full power is available immediately And people just liked that. And then not having to go to a gas station, being able to charge in at at your home, like all sort of helps the user experience. And so that was enough to be able to get Tesla on the road to then build the Model S, which was widely successful, and then building into the 3 and
0: the Y and sort of everything else. What Tesla kicked off is now table stakes for the rest of the auto industry. Of course your EV should have a range of some hundreds of miles. Of course your EV should still be a desirable car and not just some transportation appliance. The trick now is how you distinguish yourself from the baseline. And you're more likely to do that with software than hardware. This is already happening. Axel again.
2: I've been to China and I've sat in cars. It feels you sit in a gaming console. These were like designed around the
0: display, around the sound, around connectivity. And as car makers move in that direction, less mechanics, more technology, it starts to redefine what even a car, well, is. I have three children, 12-year-old
2: twins, and an eight-year-old. It was the first time that I thought when I sat in this car, I could envision being at home with my wife and saying to my son, Moritz, why don't you go outside and sit in the car to play? It's just, it, it's, it's changing.
0: To get to the vision Axel's describing is no small feat. It's going to require remaking the entire auto industry and, in turn, bring a whole new set of manufacturers and suppliers to the equation. I mean, think about it. While the auto industry has certainly seen its shares of ups and downs, the major players have kind of always been the major players. Before Tesla, when was there a new auto manufacturer making cars at scale? Ford's 120 years old, Toyota's 87, even relative newcomer Hyundai is a middle-aged 57. But now there's Tesla, and Rivian, and Lucid, and Fisker, and we haven't even gotten to China yet. It's too soon to call out any winners and losers, but there will be both. And what will determine which company winds up in which category, for established automakers and startups alike, is how well and how quickly they navigate this new industry. The combustion engine is hell
2: of a complex instrument and electric motor isn't. So the car production gets a lot simpler through technological change from combustion engine to electric
0: vehicle. Axel's been paying close attention to how fertile the environment's been for new car startups. With an investor base that had been focused on growth over profitability and rock bottom interest rates, there had been a ton of money flowing into new entrants. Meanwhile, established car makers were still expected to turn a profit, even while they also tried to manage the biggest transformation the industry's ever seen.
2: If you were an incumbent player, you would sit, I use an analogy, in the penalty box. And if you were a startup, fully focused on electric vehicles, you were sitting in the sky lounge. But now, rates are
0: higher, and investors are thinking differently.
2: Investors no longer focus on growth, they focus on profit, and probably Nine out of 10 startups are burning cash. And all of a sudden, these companies struggle to raise cash in order to continue the development path they are on.
0: Axel's talking about the OEMs, the original equipment manufacturers or car makers, but there's also a huge supply chain that extends far beyond the name on the hood. Not only will car brands evolve and change, but so will their components and the companies that make them.
2: How did the car look in the past? You had a super complicated, you obviously see the interior and above the hood. If you look behind the interior, there was a very complex structure. Kilometers of wire harness. You had 100 to 150 electronic control units, like a little bit of hardware, a little bit of electronic and software. If you push the button that the window goes up or down or the roof opens or the trunk opens, 100 to 150 electronic control units attached to hardware. What Elon Musk and Tesla did, people know them for inventing the electric vehicle,
0: but they changed the electric architecture of the car. This is something that often gets lost in conversations about EVs. Tesla didn't just electrify the car, it re-engineered it. A battery and some motors at the bottom of the car, a robust layer of computers and software on top of that, and some controls for the occupants. That made established suppliers' job a lot harder. The OEMs couldn't get
2: from the established suppliers what they were asking for, so some started doing it in-house,
0: and that has really changed the entire supply chain. As the need for new technologies increases, the necessity of other parts of a car diminish, including some rather big ones. For example, in an electric car, there's no more engine. how many automakers have tried to distinguish themselves with their very special V8 or turbocharged four-cylinder engines. All the engineering reputation meticulously built over decades, all the racing programs that led you to associate a NASCAR or F1 racer with the car in your driveway. In the EV era, a lot of that goes away. Like, literally. The thing your car really relies on now is a battery. In, In the supply industry,
2: The king discipline was the powertrain, and the suppliers catering into these components had open doors at the OEMs. I told you that transmission and powertrain in an e-vehicle is a lot simpler. It's almost commoditizing, and the value shifts from powertrain to battery. So the battery cell suppliers are a newly emerging nucleus of suppliers who take a, a significant part in the entire value chain. And that's also making changing the dynamics entirely.
0: Let's turn the conversation over to our colleagues in Goldman Sachs Research. They've also been observing these massive changes in the auto industry.
3: The industry's going through what I think is quite rightly being described as arguably the biggest transformation in certainly in 60, 70 years, but maybe also since its inception.
0: That's George Galeers. He analyzes the European auto market for Goldman Sachs Research in London.
3: You know, what we would acknowledge is if we think about one of the challenges with the car historically it might sound rather simple but one of the big challenges has actually always been packaging where do I put my combustion engine where do I put my transmission where do I put my fuel tank how do I create enough space for the passengers in a battery electric vehicle a lot of these packaging questions are simplified because the cells effectively sit underneath the passenger compartment The electric motors are typically sitting on top of the axles. And what that means is... It's freeing up physical space in the vehicle for computing power and for the compute that will be required to support the autonomous driving and the ADAS features.
0: Quick acronym note, ADAS means Advanced Driving Assistance Systems, you know, like the fancy cruise control that keeps you a set distance from the car in front of you and things like lane keeping technology. We tend to think of electrification and autonomy as two separate things, but they're related. Electric vehicles, mechanically speaking, are simpler than internal combustion cars. They just require one or two motors driving two or four wheels. And since EVs depend so much on software to manage power, charging, and other functions, it's not a stretch to add a set of sensors to a car to tell it where it is relative to other cars and objects. And since speed, steering, and braking are now controlled by electrical inputs, not cables and linkages, why not start handing over some of those decisions to the car's prodigious computing power, which can often make more and faster calculations than any human can. And on an EV, these rolling laptops have a perfect source of power, a giant battery right underneath. With a change in components comes a change in the people you need to make them all those mechanical engineers who are brilliant at crafting new variable camshaft timing systems, you now need workers with different skills and different qualifications. You need electrical engineers and people who know how to write the hundreds of millions of lines of code that the car of the future requires. It challenges the entire structure of the auto industry. And while established automakers have significant assets in terms of brand, distribution, and, well, knowing how to make cars— they're also having to figure out how to change their entire way of doing things with a new set of workers, all while startups get media and, more importantly, investor attention and historically cheaper access to money or cost of capital. George thinks about this changing playing field a lot. You know,
3: investors in established car companies expect those car companies to generate a profit on every product they sell. They're not prepared for them to sell battery electric vehicles at losses even if it comes with tremendous growth for a sustained period of time. In addition, if we look at the valuation multiples, the traditional car companies are trading on incredibly low valuation multiples compared to a lot of the startups. So inherently their cost of capital is higher. And this is another challenge, which we think a lot of the management teams are are struggling with is, does the market actually want us to grow aggressively in this new world? but with that come losses and cash burn? Or do they want us to maintain our existing level of profitability and strong free cash flow profile whilst also participating in this BEV growth? And the two things don't really go hand in hand at this point, given the cost of batteries and the cost of the overall electric vehicle powertrain.
0: And I would imagine on the flip side of that, the investor sentiment toward battery electric vehicle startups is much more tolerant of incurring losses over a period of time so as to gain market share and then eventually that pivots or tips over into profitability. Is that right?
3: A hundred percent. And that's true in the Western world, but it's even more evident in China where we have, you know, probably over a hundred domestic battery electric vehicle players. But I think the number that are making profits on their battery electric vehicle sales specifically, you can probably count on a single hand. There and are that hundred, level of,
0: I'm going to interrupt you there for a quick second. You just said that there are around 100 different car makers right now in China that are making electric vehicles?
3: Well, sort of ascertaining the exact number of car makers in China it is difficult because, you know, we see companies, um, you know, effectively reduced in size, and then a new player emerges, but we estimate that in total there are around in excess of 100 different companies in China presently creating battery electric vehicles of some description.
0: In excess of 100. Quick comparison, if you added up all the brands of cars you could think of from around the world, you'd still have fewer than the number of manufacturers there are in China. It's worth noting that electric vehicles weren't invented yesterday, You can find examples that go back to the very beginnings of the automobile, and even more recent examples like GM's EV1, an electric car that the automaker leased to the general public in the late 90s, and the BMW i3, which was sold in the 20-teens. But it took a while for electrification to become the new standard of propulsion. For the OEMs, they weren't really sure which way things were going to go. Mark Delaney covers the U.S. auto industry at Goldman Sachs Research
4: in New York. If you think about some of the CO2 emissions requirements that have gone into place in Europe, some of the traditional OEMs really invested a lot in hybrid technology, and and that was considered a cost-effective way to comply with those regulations. And also when the traditional OEMs would go to do some of their consumer research, drivers would say, oh yeah, give me both. That sounds good to me. And so you had a lot of investment that took place into the hybrid technology. But then... Some of the traditional car companies had to pivot from this hybrid as a very long-term transitional technology to EVs are happening sooner than we were anticipating and, and having to shift some of their investment uh, toward EVs uh, faster than they'd previously been anticipating.
0: And this is only accelerated. Now EVs are at the center of the
4: action. People say, "Oh, when are when are EVs at the tipping point?" I like, "Well, it really depends because in a lot of segments, EVs already have crossed over."
0: These changes will upend the auto industry, but they won't stop there. Think about just how much the car has shaped our world: our highways, streets, roads, drive-throughs, parking lots, all of it now change the machine that basically created all of that from a gas burning one to an electric one that under some circumstances can drive itself. What does that mean for the world the car has created? And maybe more importantly, are we ready for it? Is the world and the customer base ready for what the industry is sort of currently doing and aiming for? Is the industry in sync with the customer? Are they ahead of them? Is there, you know, how and how not are they kind of meeting or matching the demand? Again, is the customer base sort of ready for this?
3: So I think that's that honestly is the the million dollar question.
0: Whether we're ready or not, the change is already underway. If you're wondering when the tipping point happens, Look around. It's started. Next time on the Future of Four Wheels, building the car of the future. The opinions and views expressed in this program are not necessarily the opinions of Goldman Sachs or its affiliates. This program should not be copied, distributed, published, or reproduced in whole or in part, or disclosed by any recipient to any other person without the express written consent of Goldman Sachs. Each name of a third-party organization mentioned in this program is the property of the company to which it relates and is used here strictly for informational and identification purposes only, and is not used to imply any ownership or license rights between any such company and Goldman Sachs. The content of this program does not constitute a recommendation from any Goldman Sachs entity to the recipient and is provided for informational purposes only. Goldman Sachs is not providing any financial, economic, legal, investment, accounting, or tax advice through this program or to its recipient. Certain information contained in this program constitutes forward-looking statements, and there's no guarantee that these results will be achieved. Goldman Sachs has no obligation to provide updates or changes to the information in this program. Past performance does not guarantee future results, which may vary. Neither Goldman Sachs nor any of its affiliates makes any representation or warranty express or implied as to the accuracy or completeness of the statements or any information contained in this program and any liability, therefore, including in respect of direct, indirect, or consequential loss or damage is expressly disclaimed.